joined up thinking. Have you noticed how the catchphrases of our politicians mean their exact opposite? Remember Tony Blair saying, we need joined up thinking. The phrase soon became a sort of mantra in educational management speak and as a tick box for art administrators. But joined up thinking really meant isolate your thoughts and break things up. This Blairite phrase went alongside sustainability, which you think is very green and eco-friendly, but it actually meant short-term, for the moment, terminal. Indeed, Blair was a master at this. He had a document proving there were weapons of mass destruction hidden somewhere in the desert. For we understand words on paper, they're the truth. Of course, it all went back to the milk snatcher, Margaret Thatcher, who turned equality into equal opportunities. And her equal opportunities were synonymous with unequal opportunities. Recently, a Tory MP was disciplined for using the phrase social justice. He was told he had to use the term social mobility, which of course means social immobility. From Trump to our front benches, fake news and fake politics trips off their lips. Of course, it's all about someone else, but the truth is, I'm fake news and this is my fake politics. And then there's Theresa. Theresa May's strong and stable, which means weak and feeble, obviously. I'm waiting to hear her say, Crisis? Uh, what crisis? That's fake news, that is. My government is strong and stable. We use joined-up writing and we're stained with ability. This is not the night of the long knives, I can assure you. All short spoons, take back control. We've got all our marbles. Ladies and gentlemen, let's raise our glasses to the great British Constitution, the National Unhealth Service, the Warfare State, the Special Petrol Group, the Department of Servile Security, the House of Lawns, the National Consents Arse, the Ministry of Attack Minister without polos, Urban Tooth Decay in a rubble, the Department of Environment, Minister without port wine, Ministry of Fisheries and Chippies, the Upper Chamber Pot, the House of Condoms, the Shadow Wardrobe, Public Pining Poles, White Rod, the Rabbit Borough Council, the Parish Pencil, the Mayor and Stallion, the Steridant Missile, the Mace Groceries, the Queen's Screech, a secret political broadcast, government visors advertised at the job periphery. The Chief Whip, the Chef Constable, the Uncivil Service, the DSS Snoopy, Astasi Care Bear, the Front Bench Spoke, Security Hardcore, the Back Bunches, Law of Unequal Opportunists, NHS Subscriptions, Freedom of Art, Freedom of Speech, Liberty and Just juice, a billy of human rights, the status quail, budgie day. Ladies and gentlemen, raise your glasses over the great British constitution.
at Shelley's grave. At the foot of the small Cestius pyramid in Rome is the oldest part of what was to become the Protestant cemetery, the cemetery of artists and poets. At the edge of the city it is believed prostitutes were first buried there or thereabouts. The authoritarianism of Catholicism in the city of Rome did battle with dissenters and foreigners, only reluctantly allowing burial at the site. It was first developed as a cemetery from the mid-18th century. Burials were conducted at night, and this continued until around the 1850s, though permission for daylight funerals were occasionally given to foreign dignitaries and the like, if there were police present, etc. Percy Bysshe Shelley's ashes are interred here. I stand looking over his gravestone in the hottest Rome sun, Corcordian, heart of hearts, emblazoned upon it with three lines from the tempest beneath. Nothing of him that doth fade, but does suffer a sea change into something rich and strange. Heart of hearts. He was in all his thirty years heart of hearts, but how ironic. Friends had cut his heart out on the shore of the Gulf of Spezia, where he drowned in a storm, and cremated the rest of his body there. His heart was sent back to England. From his self-exile in Italy, Shelley had poured scorn on England's ruling class, the class he betrayed. And here, in death, it was as if the process of splitting Shelley and his works in two had begun. With ashes boxed up, Shelley's friends argued with the authorities to have him buried with his son William, who was interred in the cemetery having died there aged three in 1819. His body was buried in the old part of the cemetery beneath the pyramid. Permission was given for Shelley's ashes to be buried with William. However, when they opened his son's grave, they found a, the skeleton of a man, not an infant. Later, Shelley's friend Trelawney decided to move his ashes to a news plot by a wall. This is that grave. Nearby is Keats' grave and just over there the Marxist thinker, Gramsci. With its trees and shrubs, stone walls and nearby pyramid, this cemetery is, as Shelley himself remarked, the most beautiful and solemn I have ever beheld. The literary establishment split his literary work from his pol political writings. Indeed, the latter were, and often still are, described as his juvenile works. Yet the whole reason he was in Italy was to escape prosecution in England and find space abroad to savage the British ruling class in its, in its exploitation and repression of the emerging working class. His response to the Peterloo massacre of Manchester's working class in 1819, the Mask of Anarchy, resonates 200 years after it was written. I imagine its concluding verse will be writ large 
on yellow vests. Stood here in the blazing sun, gazing down at the stone covering Shelley's heartless ashes. Corcordian, beat still. <laughs> 